Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. Today, Robert Quintana shares biblical principles that will ensure you start the year off right in his message, A Fresh New Start. Today's message, I guess, is somewhat simple. I'm just hoping to maybe give you some words of encouragement as we face a new year. Um, You know, the Bible does say, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has its own worries. But from today's perspective, moving forward, I want to give you some words of encouragement that that might help you face tomorrow, that might help you face the coming year, whatever next year might bring. Um, I want to share with you some words of encouragement um, that might help us get through whatever might come. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 2, chapter 1, I'm sorry. It was our scripture reading this morning, Joshua chapter 1, I'm reading from the New King James Version, Joshua chapter 1, and if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of set the stage here before I read verse 9. Um, just a few chapters before this in Deuteronomy, Moses has just died. And most of us, if we've been in the church long enough, we've probably have heard of Moses or we've heard some of his stories. Uh, we know that he uh, was put in the river when he was an infant, that he grew up in the palace there Uh, with Pharaoh. He had the best education. Um, We know that um, later on in his life, he ended up murdering someone and out of fear for what Pharaoh was going to do, he fled and he went, you know, kind of off to the, to the wilderness, so to speak. And there he was a shepherd. And while he was out there, God called him to go back to Egypt to free the people of Israel. And you might remember reading that experience where he came upon this burning bush and and there this burning bush, it was God spoke to him, you know, take off your sandals. And you might remember the interaction that took place between Moses and God and, and God is saying, I need you to go back to free my people. And Moses is giving all these excuses. You might remember this. Well, after, you know, a struggle, a, a back and forth, Moses realizes why I better do what God is calling me to do. He goes back and And most of us know the 10 plagues take place. And then soon after that, um, the Pharaoh and his army are swept away in the sea. And then they spend 40 years in the wilderness. And through all of this, Moses was their leader. He was their guide. He was their head. And now Moses dies. And now who's to take his place? A man by the name of Joshua. Now, can you imagine being Joshua? I mean, here you are at the front door of the promised land. Moses has, has led the people through so much, through all the ups and downs, 
Moses had led them up until this point. They're on this side of the Jordan. And on the other side of the Jordan is the promised land. This has been their goal for decades now. And now Moses dies and it's up to Joshua to take up the torch and lead them into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy, God says to Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you, nor forsake you. So God shares this with Joshua, and he says, listen, I know that you have a big task ahead of you. I mean, you, you have just had a huge promotion, but don't fear. Don't be dismayed. You'll be okay I am with you and I will be with you every step of the way. And so now a few chapters later, now we're in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. Maybe Joshua lost sight of that. I don't know. Maybe it was just too much to handle. But here in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, God reminds Joshua of the promise that he had made to him just a few chapters before in Deuteronomy. And so in verse 9, God once again says to Joshua, have I not commanded you? Have I not told you? Have I not already shared with you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, what words of encouragement for anyone to hear, especially directly from God? I mean, I know there are times in my life that I wish I could hear directly from God those words, and then I have to remind myself, well, wait a second, the Bible says that it is living and it is breathing, and so that these texts can apply to me. And so I go to this, to this verse, and I said, have I not commanded you? Robert, have I not told you to be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, some of us are happy to see 2011 come to an end. I mean, it's just life. Life has its ups and downs. And there are some of us that are, are wishing we can have a little bit of the same of 2011 and 2012. Because this last year has been great. It's been fabulous. Business has taken off. I mean, I got a promotion. Uh, we... we um, we got a newborn, our, our family's growing, our family's coming together. There are some people here that, that are saying, man, I hope that 2011, 2012 had some of the same that 2011 has. And yet there are some of us here today that are happy, are glad that 2011 is done. I mean, we have gone through some difficult times. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you're dealing with an illness. Maybe you've seen a relationship come to an end and you are happy. You are glad that 2011 is done. It's over with. And you're saying, God, I hope 2012 is better. The truth is, I can't tell you one way or the other if 2012 is going to be good for you or not. 
Because it's life. We live in a sinful world and bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. It's life. It's, it's sin. It's unpredictable. So I can't say that 2012 is going to be good. I can't say that it's going to be bad. But here, Joshua is facing a promising future. I mean, he's just gotten a promotion. Joshua is facing a promising future. He is going into the promised land. The land that God has promised the people of Israel. And for decades now, they've been going around in circles in the wilderness. And now here they are at the front door. They're about to go in and even facing a good future, God has to say to him, do not be afraid because I am with you every step of the way. You know, we do not have the time here today to go through the scriptures and read every verse where God says or a messenger of God says, do not fear, do not be afraid. Do not let your heart be troubled. It is a theme that starts in Genesis and goes all the way through Revelation. It is a reoccurring theme. We do not have time here today to go through all the verses where God says to his people or where he says to an individual, where he says to someone, whether they're facing a promising future or whether they're promising, whether they're facing a bad future where God says, listen, Do not be afraid. I'm in control. Do not be afraid. I will be with you. There is one verse, one of these verses where God says, do not be afraid that I would like to look at because it is at the other side of the spectrum when we look at what Joshua is facing here. I mean, Joshua is facing the promised land. He is facing a promising future On the other hand, Jeremiah is not. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. I mean, the title of this book really says it all. Lamentations. Literally, he is lamenting as he writes this book. Lamentations is found almost in the middle of your Bible just after the book of Jeremiah. Lamentations chapter 3. Now, let me just kind of set the stage here for you again. Here, the nation of Israel has just been taken by the Babylonian Empire and has been left in ruins. Literally, Jeremiah, everything that Jeremiah has, has been taken away from him. Everything. His home, his family, his friends, finances, No, doesn't exist. His country, his nation, the people of Israel have just been overthrown by the Babylonian empire. They have come in and they have destroyed everything and they have taken back with them captives back to Babylon to make them slaves. Some of which they've chosen to take to school and train them in the Babylonian way of thinking. And you might know that among those that were chosen was Daniel. But here, the nation of Israel is just left desolate. 
it has been destroyed. I remember once talking to my dad who lived through the revolution in Cuba. And I remember just talking to him and I was kind of having to pry this out of him. It was almost like he didn't want to talk about it. But, I, you know, dad, I, I want to know. I want to know what you went through. And so he sh- reluctantly shared with me some of the stuff that he saw Some of the stuff that he experienced while he was in Cuba, he said, well, you know, there was this one night when we were, you know, in our small village there in Cuba. And he said, we got word. Someone ran into the town screaming that the the rebels are coming, that the militia is on its way and that we need to leave. We need to hide. And so that night he had to pick up everything. He had to grab his family, whatever he could. And they just had to flee. And a few days later, he says he went back to his town, back to his village, just to see what had happened and maybe, you know, get some of his belongings. And as he's telling me this story, he kind of slows down a little bit and he kind of starts to kind of shake a little bit. You can tell that he choked up a little bit as he's telling me that as he was coming into the town where he lived, he was literally having to walk over bodies. Friends of his, neighbors of his, walking over dead bodies to get to his house. See, I don't think, well, I know that we haven't experienced anything like that. I mean, I mean, here in the U.S., I, I, and I'm not saying this to diminish your loss or your pain or your suffering, but the truth is that when you take a step back and, and you are resting in bed, you realize, man, I am blessed. Uh, There is so much to be thankful for. And even though I might be going through a difficult time, I am blessed. I mean, because there are people around the world right now suffering such pain and devastation that that we have no idea. A, A mother losing their son because they did not have enough food to feed them. And they have no hope that it's going to get any better. And they're facing the fact that their other children might die within weeks because they don't have food to feed. I mean, I just heard just the other day that some 30,000 children a year die of starvation. And there are places around the world that are just, it's just unthinkable when you think about the pain and the sorrow that they go through. And this is the situation that Jeremiah is in. I mean, his country has just been overtaken. It's been left desolate. It's been left with with buildings torn down, with holes in the walls, with people crying in the streets, wailing in the streets, some of the children being taken off captive to Babylon. And this is where now Jeremiah writes the book of Lamentation. Now, for some 40 years he wrote the book of Jeremiah where he was warning the people of Israel. He was saying to them, we need to repent. We need to turn from our wicked ways. We need to surrender to God because if we don't, this devastation is upon us. So think about that, that for 40 years of his life, for over 40 years of his life, he preached and he he prophesied and he tried to get the people of Israel to turn around to no avail. The Bible calls them stiff-necked people. They refused to turn from their wicked ways. And as a result, God had to say, well, if you're choosing to pledge, allegiance, pledge your allegiance to these foreign gods, then let these foreign gods protect you. And so God had no choice but to back away, to step back, to step back. And when he did, the Babylonians came in with force and overtook 
the country. And now Jeremiah is crying. I mean, he is weeping. He is lamenting. The book of, of Lamentation is interesting. It's actually a poem if you read it in the Hebrew. And what Jeremiah does here is that in chapter 1, um, he, he takes a verse for the first Hebrew letter. The second verse is the second Hebrew letter. And he goes through the entire alphabet of the Hebrew letter, assigning a verse to each letter. And he does that for chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, he writes three verses for each letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And then in chapter 4 and 5, he writes one verse for each letter. So he is literally crying himself through from A to Z. He is literally crying himself through the Hebrew alphabet as he's writing the book of Lamentations. This is how down Jeremiah was. But in the middle of all of this, in the middle of this pain, he has a few verses that just stand out. And that's the verse that I want to read to you. Chapter 3, verse 55. He says this, I called on you, I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit. Now, how low was this pit? How low was this pit? It was the lowest pit. In other words, in his mind, there's no pit lower than where I'm at right now. And he says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit, you have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my sign, from my cry for help. And listen to verse 57. He says, you, God, you drew near on the day I called on you and said, do not fear. Do not fear. So, I mean, here, Joshua is facing a promising future, and God says to him, do not fear. Here, Jeremiah is facing a horrible future. We know now that it was 70 years in captivity in Babylon before they were able to come back to restore the temple. So he is facing a bleak future, and God says to him, do not fear. You see, my friends, God is calling us to live a fearless life. God is wanting us not to live a life in fear. In fact, the Bible tells us that God has not given you a spirit of fear. No, 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 no. God is not giving you a spirit of fear. God is giving you a spirit, the Bible says, of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Now, all of us go, whoa, that's what I want. I want to live a life where I have a spirit of power, where I have a spirit of love, and where I have a spirit of a sound mind, that's what we want. And God says, that's what I have in store for you. And if that's what you want, just hang on in there. Just continue this journey because I promise you it will come. 
The Bible tells us that he who began a good work in you is faithful and will finish the work that he has started in you. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. He has given us a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for me. He wants us to live a life of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And I'm promising you that if you continue pressing on, you will experience that power. You will experience that love. You will experience that sound mind as you continue to grow in him that will come. But we're still left with today. We're still left with the now. Because I know that there are some here today, and if, if I was honest and if we had the time, I can share with you some fears that I carry. And I know that there are fears in this room right now. There are fears of what does tomorrow face? There are fears of, am I going to be able to make ends meet next, next, uh, next year? Am I going to be able to keep my business afloat? Is my relationship with my wife going to stay intact next year? There are fears that we all have that we all face. And I just want to share, I just want to tell you that God is telling us right now, do not fear for I am with you. He is with us every step of the way. And I know that is so much easier said than done. You know, because we wake up tomorrow and those problems are still there. I mean, we wake up the next week and we're still having to face those things. But I want you to remember those words in the back of your head. I, I want you to go through the day, go through the week and say, you know what? God has promised me that he has given me a, a power, a spirit of power, a spirit of, of love and a spirit of a sound mind. And that even though I'm going through a difficult time, I have no reason to fear because he is with me. He is with me every step of the way. And he will see me through this difficulty. Now, as I talk about fears, I cannot help but to talk about the one fear that comes up so many times as I counsel with Christians, as I meet with non-believers, I mean, it just comes up over and over and over and over again. And that's why I feel it is so important for me to address it right now, right here, so that going into this next year, we can live a fearless life in this area. The one fear that comes up over and over and over again is the fear that if Christ was to come today, I would not be in heaven tomorrow. The, the fear that says, I'm not sure whether I'm saved or not. The, the fear that says, you know, I do not have the assurance of salvation. I mean, I try and do the right things. I, I try and go to church. You know, I try and, and be good to my neighbor and, and say positive things. But at the end of the day, there is just this fear in me that I'm not sure that I'm saved. And I know that if we were to, you know, if I was to ask you, raise your hand if you've ever experienced this fear or if you are carrying this fear with you right now, 
to raise your hand, I am almost, I am confident that about 50, at least 50% of you would, would raise your hand. And the other 50%, you know, I, I'm thinking there's maybe like 5% that are confident. So like the other 45, just, you know, I'm supposed to know this, so I'm not even going to raise my hand kind of a thing. But I, I just want to address this. I, I, I want to really close the year off right because I want us entering the new year without the fear of whether or not I'm saved. And I'm just going gonna, gonna to break it down. It's going to be so simple. I mean, I know that we can, we can talk about this for days and weeks. And we can have a whole sermon series on this. But I just want to break it down and just share a few verses. And maybe try and get everyone here to understand really how simple the plan of God's salvation for us really is. I know that there are some here today who, who haven't been in church for a long, long time. And you're questioning right now this very question. You know, I don't think I'm saved. You know, I know that there are Christians here who have been in a relationship with him for a long time, for 20, 30 years, and, and you still question whether or not I'm saved. You know, maybe something happened this last week where you feel guilty and you feel bad that you did whatever and, and you said whatever. And, and after that experience, maybe you blew up at home. Maybe you're doubting whether or not God's grace is sufficient. Let me just share with you a few verses so that we can enter the new year with the assurance of God's salvation for our lives. And not have to carry around that fear anymore. The first passage that I'd like to share with you is, is probably the, the most common one in regards to God's salvation and how a person is saved. It's found in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Maybe you've read it before. Maybe it's the first time. I don't know. It is pretty common whenever, you know, there, there's a gospel presentation. You know, a pastor will say, you know, I, I gave a gospel presentation today. This is usually one of the verses that they'll talk about. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Now it says this, that for by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, so now let me just read that again really slowly, okay? For by grace. So how is a person saved? Through what? By grace. By grace, okay? Now, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about this here in just a second. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. In other words, I believe. My faith tells me that I believe in what? The grace of God. My belief, my faith in the grace of God of God is what assures my salvation. Okay? By, so, by what are we saved? By God's... Oh, I, was, I was hoping for a more resounding grace here. 
All right? So by God's grace, we are saved, okay? By God's grace, through faith, in other words, I believe in God's grace assures your salvation. Listen to this. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift. Let, let me say that again. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, this is perfect, perfect, perfect. We just had Christmas last week. All right. How many of you, show of hands, received a gift. Show, you didn't receive a gift? Oh, okay. All right, she's back with me now. All right. All right. We all received a gift, right? I mean, even if you had a little, you know, we're not changing gifts this year, you know. Even, even when you say that, someone will always slip you a little something, right? It, it, so we've all received a gift. So we, it's fresh in our minds what a gift is. What is a gift? A gift is something that is given to you out of appreciation, out of love, out of grace, right? All right, let me, let me, let me ask you a question. You bust your tail off all week for 40 hours, all right? And at the end of the week, your boss calls you into his office and he says, man, I'm proud of you. Johnny, man, you really outdid yourself this week. I mean, he says, Kathy, man, you just went out. You just worked so hard. I mean, you were on time. I have a gift for you. And so he reaches in his coat pocket and he pulls out an envelope. You're like, Whoa, this is exciting, right? I mean, my boss has just called me into their office. They've acknowledged all the hard work that I've done this week. And, and he's extending to me a gift. And so you take that envelope and you open that envelope. And when you pull the check out, you realize that it is the amount that he owes you for what you worked. What's, gonna, what's your response? Uh, depending on how badly you, you want to keep your job, I mean, you might be at, you're with Sen by this point, you're at, no, 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 buddy, wait, wait. No, this isn't a gift. Let me explain to you, I worked for this money. I earned every cent that's on this check. This isn't a gift. You want to give me a gift? It needs to be above and beyond this. A gift is something that I have not, what? Earned. God's salvation for you is a gift. Now, there's two things really that you can do with a gift, right? You can either accept it or re-gift it. No, I'm, I'm just... <laughs> I know all of y'all that just laughed, you've done it, huh? <laughs> Some of you are going, re-gifting, what's that? You can do two things with a gift, right? You can either accept it or you can reject it. 
Those are really your only two options. You can either accept the gift or you can what? Reject it. Let me just see if I can help you understand this. Uh, Can I have a volunteer to come forward? Have a volunteer? Vaughn, why don't you come forward? We're going to try and and break this down. I, I just really want to go into the new year Everyone understanding this one thing. All right. <laughs> All right, Vaughn, play nice. All right. Vaughn is your average guy. He goes to church every once in a while. You're, you're playing a role. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goes to church every once in a while. He struggles with a few things here and there. There are some things in his life that he wishes could change, Right? And God comes to him and he says, Vaughn, I have a gift for you. In my hand, I have the gift of eternal life. God knows that there is no way that Vaughn will ever be able to earn this gift. God knows that there is no way that Vaughn will ever be able to do or say anything for him to possess this gift. And so through God's grace, he offers it as a gift to Vaughn. And he says, Vaughn, I want you to have this gift of eternal life. Vaughn, you have a choice now. You can either take it or accept it. What are you going to do? Take it. Take it. You, you really would be dumb not to. And the truth is, any of us would be silly not to. All right? So Vaughn has accepted the gift of eternal life. Let me ask you guys a couple of questions here. Does Vaughn have eternal life? He does. He has it. Did Vaughn automatically, like miraculously, become a perfect person? I mean, is he now living 100% according to God's laws and his commandments? Is there still stuff in Vaughn's life that need to be worked out? Yes, see, by him accepting that gift, he's been justified. And now what begins is what we call sanctification, where the Holy Spirit now in this covenant relationship with him, it now says, now that I've saved you from the mess that you were in, I now want to save you from the mess that you've become. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the baptism of the Spirit, which is a daily occurrence, the Holy Spirit convicts Vaughn of sin convicts him of the things in his life that need to change, gives him the strength to overcome, okay? But let me ask you a question. Because now this is where the nitty-gritty comes. This is where we get all confused. If Vaughn was all of a sudden to do something or say something that didn't go in line with God's character, does that mean that God goes, sorry, you messed up? No. You know why? Because the minute you start thinking that way, it's become salvation by works. 
The moment that you think that your actions or your words determine your salvation, guess what? It is salvation by works. See, this is why it's such a beautiful plan. Because Christ, through his death, paid the price for his sins and all of his mistakes from birth to death. And he says to him, you have the gift of salvation. We're in this covenant relationship together. We are together in this, Vaughn. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, you have no need to fear that you have lost your salvation. We're just working things out in your life. We're just trying to clean up the crud. Is that okay? Crud. All right. Crud. There's some. Okay. I appreciate that. We're just, we're, we're working on this together. But Vaughn, please have the assurance of salvation because you've accepted that gift. Thanks. I want to share with you just a few other verses in scripture that might help clarify this a little bit more. If you turn to the book of Romans, Romans is a fabulous book to read on this subject um, because Paul really does a phenomenal job in in trying to balance this whole um, justification and sanctification and, and, you know, this whole concept of, you know, once you're saved or or what what our works, do they matter? Of course they matter. Paul talks about it in here. But if you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, for instance, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says this. He says, for the wages of sin is death. Kind of hard to believe, but the truth is that for you to die, you have to work at it. I mean, you have to work for your death. And your deeds, your, your unrighteous deeds is what's earning you your death. But the flip side to all of this is that the gift, there is that word again, the gift of, and some versions might say the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's read uh, chapter 5, verse 17. It says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more, talking about Adam, that his offense entered entering the world through Adam's offense, right? Death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the, there that word again, gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, that's Adam's offense, judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation. See, this is something important for you to understand. Like, we're already condemned. This is why Jesus says, I have not come to condemn the world. Jesus says, guys, you're condemned already. Jesus says, I have not come to condemn the world. No, I've come so that the world might have life through me. And so he says here, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the acts of Christ, it says, the free gift came to all men, resulting in, what's that word? 
justification, not sanctification. No, justification of life. For as by one man's obedience, I'm sorry, for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And so it's a gift. It is something that we accept. And it doesn't matter where you are in life right now. It doesn't matter how far away from the church you feel you are. It doesn't matter how far you've run away. It doesn't matter if you've been in church for years, 30, 40 years. It doesn't matter. If you accept Jesus Christ right now, and you accept that free gift that he gives to you, you can leave here today with the assurance, with the conviction that I am saved. That through the grace of our God, believing in his grace, I am saved. I am redeemed. Now, that doesn't mean that everything is going to be fine from here on out. I mean, it doesn't mean that, that you will have miraculously changed and that you will be that perfect husband or that perfect wife or that perfect mother or father. It doesn't mean that you're going to be that perfect employee. No, but what it does do is that it puts you on a road where someday you will be that perfect father, that perfect friend, that perfect employer or employee. It puts you on a road where someday you will be exactly who God wants you to be. It is a gift. It is something that we accept. And so here, we're reading about Jeremiah. That in the, in the middle of all this pain, in the middle of all this suffering, I want to go back to the book of Lamentations. Go back to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. I just want to read it. Lamentations chapter 3. In the middle of all of this, in verse 55, he says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my sign, from my cry for help. You draw near on the day I called on you and said, do not Fear. So in the lowest of pit, he's hearing God saying to him, do not fear. Jeremiah is facing a bleak future. And then in verse 58, it says, Oh Lord, you have pleaded the case for my soul. You have redeemed my life. So even in this lowest pit, facing this bleak future, God was able to say to him, Jeremiah, do not fear. And Jeremiah had the confidence that I am saved. I am redeemed. By God's grace and by his love and by his mercy, I am saved. And it doesn't matter what the future holds he is with me every step of the way, and I can have the assurance in God's salvation. And it's not just Jeremiah. If we go back to Joshua, go back to the book of Joshua, you're going to see 
that Joshua, facing a bright future, also had the same assurance. Because here Joshua is facing a promising future. And and we see where God says to him, do not fear. I'm going to be with you wherever you go, whatever you do, I'm going to be with you. And then in verse 10, it says that Joshua commanded the officers. He tells the officers, listen, in three days, we're going to be going into the promised land. So get the provisions needed. We're going to be going into the promised land. And then here in verse 13, he says, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you saying, the Lord, your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. In other words, you can have the assurance that our victory is secured in Christ Jesus. And so I don't know what 2012 has in store for us. It can be a bleak future. It can be a bright future. We might experience highs and lows. I'm not sure. But either way, God says to us today, do Not fear, especially the fact that I have already won, that your life is in my hands, that I have secured your future in eternity with me. So won't we give our lives to him? I mean, won't we just give our lives to him? He is offering himself to us. And won't we right now say, you know, at the end, at the close of this year, not knowing what next year is going to be, I'm going to enter next year. I'm going to enter 2012 with the assurance that God has saved me. That through his sacrifice on the cross, he has secured my victory for eternity. And I'm going to ask, If you so desire to accept that gift of salvation today, right now, so that you can enter the 2012 year with the assurance of God's salvation, I'm going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to come forward. If you want to enter 2012 with the assurance of God's salvation in your life, I want you to come forward. And now listen This may be the first time that you've come in a long, long time. Maybe you feel that you are far away. But I want to assure you that if you come right now, you can enter the 2012 year with the assurance of God's salvation for your life. Knowing that there are things that need to change, knowing that there are things in my life that God's going to work out, the Holy Spirit is going to work in me, And the work that he has started here today, he will finish. But what you are saying right here, right now, by coming forward, is that I'm giving my life to him. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we humbly come before you just now. And we thank you and praise you. For the sacrifice of our Lord, of our Creator, Jesus Christ. That because of Him and through Him, we have hope today. 
that if life was to end right now, we would spend all of eternity with you. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you're able to do for us what we cannot do for us. And that where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. And even now, I sense that there are some that are reluctant to stand and come forward. God, I just pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you lead them to this decision. Whether it's now or in the next few days, that you lead them to this decision to accept you into their lives so that they no longer have to live a life in fear, wondering about their eternity, but that they can have the confidence in you that whatever comes, whether good or bad, we are secure in your hands and we have found victory in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that we get to enter into this new year, 2012, with the assurance of salvation. What this will cause in our lives, I guess it's, it's different for each person. And someone's going to leave here and want to share with someone else that they've been saved today. And maybe someone's going to want to go back and journal this experience Maybe for some, it's just, uh, you know, a dedication to get back to the word, to get back to prayer. For others, it might be that they realize that they need to, to serve, that they need to get out and they need to reach out and share this gospel message. However it is, it is shared, however it goes forth, God, may it be for your honor and your glory. But here right now, we stand in awe of you. We stand under your grace and we thank you for Jesus Christ and for the assurance of knowing that our life is secure in your hands now and forevermore as you promised. In Christ's name, amen. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. For more podcasts, click the sermon audio link.